songs of praise to your name. Now, Lord, I ask that as Matt comes to, uh, to deliver to us, Lord, a message that you have prepared in his heart that is appropriate for us today, Lord, that, that we ought to hear and need to hear, Lord, may our ears be open. May our eyes see. May our hearts be soft, Lord, as fertile soil to receive the truth of your holy scriptures. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would speak through Matt. As you've prepared his heart, I pray that the words that he speaks would be your words, and that we would be edified and built up in truth this morning. We pray this all together as one body in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, good morning to everyone. Am I on? All right. So, uh, so I've never done this before. Uh, I've spoken in church before, but I can tell you I've never spoken at anybody's installation to anything, uh, much less to be the pastor of a church. I am not a pastor. I have not aspired to be a pastor. And I didn't even sleep at a Holiday Inn Express last night. So, uh, but we're going uh, to look at God's Word this morning, and as uh, Grant just said, hopefully hear from him. Uh, not from me. I don't have any wisdom that you need, uh, but God does. And so hopefully we'll hear from him this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I'm going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. While I have not uh, ever been a pastor myself, I'm actually a lawyer in Washington, D.C., and please don't hold that against me. Try to see a normal person up here if you can this morning, despite that job that I have. Well, I've never been a pastor. My dad was a pastor. My dad was a pastor of a church for 36 years, the same pastor, the only church that he was ever a pastor of. We moved to New Jersey when I was seven, and my dad became the pastor of a church that honestly wasn't much uh, larger than this church. And he was at that church for 36 years. He retired at the end of 2015. And during his last year preaching, or last year as the pastor there, I went up and, and delivered a message to that congregation. It was out of this same passage that we're going to look at this morning. It was, we were looking at that passage from the perspective of someone who was looking back on 36 years as the pastor of a single church. My dad became the pastor of that church at 33 years old. And we were looking back after 36 years. And the question I posed to the congregation was this, what was my dad doing here for the last 36 years? Like, you know, you probably wonder that, like, what's the pastor do all day? You know, you just sit around, you know, and drink coffee and, you know, go to lunch. Like, what's the pastor do all day? And I was posing that question to my dad's congregation, not you know, what was my dad doing all day for 36 years, but what was my dad up to? What was my dad trying to do? Like, for the last 36 years, what's he been trying to accomplish so that we can sit here now at the end of 36 years and look back and say, well, did he do, did he accomplish what he was trying to do for the last 36 years? And so what we did that morning in that service was look at this passage in 2 Timothy and try to answer the question, what was my dad up to for the last 36 years? So here we're going to, this morning, we're going to look at the passage from the other end. Sean's about three years younger than my dad was when my dad became the pastor of that church. And what we want to do this morning is, at the beginning of Sean's ministry, pause and ask ourselves, what is he going to be up to? for if God wills the next 36 years here at Sixth Avenue Church of God. What's he trying to accomplish? What's he doing? What's the goal every day? When Sean comes into work, what's the mission? What's the goal? What is he striving to accomplish here as the pastor of this church? What is the job description? You know, if we're going to write it out, I mean, we kind of all have something in our head, right? When we hear the word pastor, he's a pastor. We have something in our head as, well, that's what the pastor does. 
the pastor, and we kind of list off a list of tasks, right? The pastor preaches. The pastor leads the business meetings. And the pastor visits people when they're sick in the hospital. And the pastor does all of those things, but to what end? With what goal in mind? It's not just, I got six hospital visits to make this week, and you know, three, uh, you know, I'm going to head down to the jail and preach, or I'm going to you know, lead a Sunday school class on Sunday morning. You're doing all those things, but hopefully with a goal, with some end in mind. And so what I want to look at this morning is that question of what is Sean going to be up to, or what should Sean be up to as the pastor of this church? So if you look at with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and follow along as I read, this is the Word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Paul writes these words. This is the book of 2 Timothy, the last book he writes as his ministry is coming to an end. In fact, we know much more probably commonly that in chapter 4 where he says, I have run the race, you know, I've fought the good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He's writing at the end here of his ministry, and he's writing to Timothy. And he's passing now on to Timothy the mantle, so to speak, now the obligation to carry on the gospel. And he's passing on some parting words to someone who will come after him. Timothy, someone who's beginning a pastoral ministry. And these are the words, some of the words, that Paul chooses to write, you then, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing he says, in a, you know, if you're, if you're a note taker and you like outlines, some people like taking outlines, my first point is for Sean and Amber to be strengthened by God's grace. Now, when Paul says this to Timothy, telling him to be strengthened by God's grace, and when we give this encouragement to Sean this morning to be strengthened by God's grace, there's some assumptions built in there. And one of them is that Sean and Timothy before him will need to be strengthened. It assumes that there will be things that will challenge, that things that will weaken, things that will tire you as the pastor, just like for Timothy. And so Paul writes and tells him to be strengthened, but he tells him to be strengthened by something in particular. He tells him to be strengthened because the reality is that the work of a pastor is hard work. As I said at the beginning, we don't all see day to day what it looks like to be a pastor. We're off at our jobs. We kind of want what's the pastor doing all day. I can tell you as the son of a pastor that the work of a pastor is a hard job. It is a hard work. And we'll talk about that some more this morning as we continue through this passage. But suffice it to say that the work of a pastor is not a life of luxury. It is not just lounging around, taking it easy. It is hard work. It is getting involved in the lives of people, and you know and I know that can be a messy thing. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, remember he talks in that passage about all the trials he had gone through, how he had been lost at sea and how he had been beaten, and he lists out all these things, how he had been jailed and thrown out of cities, and he lists all these hard things that he has gone through, hopefully things Sean will never experience, but then he ends by saying this, and apart from all these things, so he talks about the beatdowns that he took, and then says, and apart from all of that, you want to know how hard it was? Here's what he says. There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Paul puts in the same category as beatings and shipwrecks 
the fact that he had daily anxiety for the people that he cared about. See, Paul knew as he was writing to Timothy that the work of a pastor is a hard work. And Sean, if you are anything as a pastor, you will feel that burden as you care for the people in this church. You'll hopefully experience their joys as you see their weddings and new births, but you'll feel the pain of their pains. You'll feel when their children go astray, you will feel that. When their marriages are strained, that will weigh on you. When they're facing illness or death or you're doing a, a funeral for a lost loved one or, God forbid, a child. When the, the members of your church perhaps feel overwhelmed financially, those things will weigh on you. That's what Paul knew. He knew that, what, that in the same category as the physical suffering he felt, he knew that there was the burden of just caring for the people that he loved. And so Paul says, you're going to need strength. That in all the daily responsibilities you feel as pastor, you may start to wonder, how can I do it all? And Paul's answer here is that you cannot. Paul's answer is not, Sean, be strengthened by your skills and abilities. Be strengthened by your intellect or your talent. Be strengthened by the connections you have or the internships you did. That's, none of that's Paul's encouragement. Paul's encouragement is not that the pastor be strengthened by looking to what he has, but by looking to the grace that is in Christ Jesus. See, that's what he says there. He says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the fact that building God's church is His gift by His grace. That building His church is the result of His kindness and His goodness that He does the work, and that He uses us to do it. He uses people for His ministry, but He never depends on us for His ministry. If this church grows one bit, it does not depend on Sean. So be strengthened by the fact that if, Sean, you see flaws in Sean, and you will see flaws in Sean, just to warn you here, you'll see flaws in any pastor, the good news is that the church is built by God's grace, not by, the, not by the capabilities of the particular person. And so when you, fee, when you look at the task and you say, I see false teaching at churches all around Decatur, or I see situations where how could the grace of God ever reach, how could we ever reach them? The good news is what should strengthen you is it doesn't depend on you. That's the good news. The good news is that as you look at the situations that you'll be burdened with as a pastor and you think to yourself, it would take a miracle to solve this situation. The good news is that our God is a gracious God of miracles. That God does miracles. That He's in the business of miracles. Sean yesterday took me around on the I guess what we would call the Sean DeMars Decatur Tour, Decatur History Tour, right? So we went to all the places where Sean was as a lost person. Now see, Sean is one of my dearest friends. Sean and I could not be more different people. For real, I spent eight years as a federal prosecutor. I put people like Sean in jail. Right? There's, there's, we're, not, I'm not, we're not kidding about that. That's what I spent my life doing. We could not be more different people. I know plenty of people like Sean. I've put plenty of people like Sean in jail for a long time. And if you told me that any of them, of those folks who I know like Sean, would be a pastor one day of a church, if I had known Sean 15 years ago and you had told me that guy is going to be a pastor of a church. If you, maybe some of you, knew Sean 15 years ago or heard of Sean 15 years ago and someone told you Sean 
is going to be the pastor of this church, you might say that would take a miracle. And it did. And that should strengthen you. I'm not an emotional person, but uh, maybe I am more than I think. But that should strengthen you. That that grace that you've seen in Christ Jesus, that Paul talks about here, should strengthen you. That situations that look impossible are not impossible with God. That things that look like, how will we ever solve this, is not impossible with God. As you come across other kids, 15-year-olds in town, who you think the gospel would never reach them, they would never come here. How could they ever be saved? Be strengthened, Sean, by the grace that you have seen in Christ Jesus. None of these people you can save, but God can save all of them. You know, see, my tendency is, when I'm thinking about sharing the gospel with someone, I tend to size them up in my mind like, are they someone who would likely be interested in this? You do that? I mean, I know I do. I'll just, you know, true confessions. If I'm, if I'm trying to decide, am I going to talk to them? I, I think, you know, I'm not going to talk to them. They would never be interested. You know what I've found over the years? I am a very, very, very bad judge of who would actually be interested. You know why? Because who is interested is God's work. God changes hearts. God opens eyes. And I have a terrible inability to figure out who that is. And so I can be encouraged. I can be strengthened by the fact that God reaches impossible cases. Lost causes from our perspective. And that should encourage you as you pursue the ministry. As you pursue your ministry here. Be strengthened by the fact by the truth, by the reality that God is in the business of bringing dead people to life. All of those cases are lost causes. As Paul said in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. Paul goes on to say, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That sounds bad right? No hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. If you want to be encouraged by something, if you want to be strengthened by something in your ministry, remember that that is the God that you are serving, the one who pursues lost causes, who brings the dead to life. I'm reminded of this going back to my dad's ministry again because my dad was saved. My dad did not grow up in a, in a Christian home. He grew up in a nominally religious home. They would go to church occasionally. My dad got saved in college in a crazy story, ended up at a Christian college as an unbeliever. That's a wild story. Maybe sometime I can share it with you. The first night of the Bible, of the college, they're having a Bible conference. It's mandatory. Everyone has to attend. My dad's not a Christian. Why would I go to a Bible conference? I'm not even really sure why I'm here at this school. And so he orders pizza. He hears a knock on the door. He goes to get the pizza. He opens the door. The dean's there. My dad's like, yes, I was just on my way to the Bible conference. And so he goes to the Bible conference. And that night, hears the gospel for the first time in his life at age 18 and repents of his sins and trusts in Jesus. And so my dad had a twin brother. My dad's twin brother went to Rutgers University that fall. My dad's twin brother got saved as a result of a campus ministry. 
My dad had a third brother who was an older brother, Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred was the beloved uncle of our family. You probably have one of these, right? Everybody loves him. Uncle Fred, I grew up in a Christian home. We don't curse. We don't do things like that. But we'd get together at, at my grandmother's house, and Uncle Fred would say some words that you don't usually say around my house. And all of us kids thought, mm -hmm, that's hilarious. You know, Uncle Fred was the life of the party. He was that guy. We deeply loved my Uncle Fred, and my Uncle Fred mocked our Christianity. My Uncle Fred loved us. He, we knew he loved us. He thought we were crackpots. He thought we were nuts. And every night as kids, before we would pray as a family before we would go to bed, and every night all of the kids would go around and we'd pray for Uncle Fred to get saved. Uncle Fred would never come to hear my dad preach. He would never come to church. He would never participate in our church services. And year after year, while my dad was a pastor, only a few hours away from my, where my uncle lived, we would pray, God, please save Uncle Fred. And Uncle Fred would keep mocking and would never come. In the last couple years of my dad's ministry, my Uncle Fred came and visited a few times. And on the very last Sunday that my dad ever preached as the pastor of that church, Uncle Fred came to the service and heard the gospel and believed. On the last Sunday of 36 years of preaching, I don't know whether the people you're going to be praying for, Sean, in this town will believe in the first week or on the last Sunday of 36 years, but be strengthened by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ which even works all the way until the last Sunday. Sometimes it will take that long. That's point number one. <laughs> point number two is in verse two. Paul says this, if I summarize, pass on what you've heard. See, he says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. He says, pass on what you have heard. You're not here to make up some new doctrine. You're not here to come up with something novel to say. You're not here to come up with some new ideas or something snazzy or catchy that no one's ever heard. You've got one job. You heard something from someone else. So pass it on. That Christianity is a faith passed down. It's one person telling it to one person. In fact, the reason, think about this, this will blow your mind. The reason that every one of us sits here today, if we're a believer in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only reason we sit here today as believers is because Paul told Timothy, who told someone, 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 who told someone for 2,000 years, often at great personal cost, so that you today would hear the gospel. That's the only reason you know. That's the only reason I know. It's because someone listened to this verse and told someone who told someone who told someone. And if 2,000 years from now, Christ still hasn't come back, the only reason people will continue to hear is because Sean and you tell someone who tells someone who tells someone about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity is a faith passed on. Paul did not just say, go hand out Bibles. I'm all for handing out Bibles. I want people to read the Bible. Russell shared with us last night how he came to know the Lord by sitting down and reading the Bible. And that happens. But you know what happens more often than not? You know what God's plan is in the main? In the, in the mainstream is for people to tell other people, to people to share the gospel with other people. The spread of the, the spread, God uses people to teach, to explain, to protect us from error so that we don't make mistakes as we read scripture. Sean's been taught and now his job is to teach you as the congregation, to entrust to you as faithful men and women. And Sean, the, the idea here is that you are passing on what has been entrusted to you. In fact, at the end of 
2 Timothy, if you want to just hold your finger here and flip over to chapter 4, verse 7, I mentioned this verse earlier, Paul says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. What does he mean when he says he kept the faith? The idea is this, is that the, the word idea there is that he's preserved the faith. He doesn't say, I designed and invented the faith. He says, I kept it intact and I passed it on to you. I have kept it, I, when, I, when I grew up, I was a paper boy. That was my first job, I had a paper boy. Kids these days look at me like, what's a paper boy? Like, we just look on the internet. But we used to have these things called newspapers that you used to bring to people's houses and leave them on their front door. And I would do that every morning. I delivered a paper. You know what the paper never hired me to do? Alter the content. <laughs> they never asked for my opinion on the stories. They never asked for some editorial markup to send it back to them. They gave me the message and said, keep it intact, get it there dry, not all torn up, and get it to the door. They gave it to me and said, deliver it intact. That's the idea here of keeping the faith. It's been delivered to us, and Paul said at the end of my ministry, I can say with confidence, I kept it intact, and I passed it on to Timothy. Not, I made it up on my own. I took what was given to me as the faith, and I have passed it on now to others. And that's what Paul's saying back here in the beginning. He says to Timothy, what you've heard from me, what I have kept intact, intact and now handed to you, now you pass that on to others intact. And Sean, that's your job. It's not to come up with something new that'll catch a lot of attention here in town, some snazzy idea that nobody's ever thought of. If they've thought of it, most of the new things that people think of today are old heresies. Your job is to keep the faith intact, to protect it and to preserve it, and to pass it on to these folks so that they can pass it on to other folks, so that they can pass it on to other folks. The, see, the primary pass, task of the pastor, ultimately, is to pass on the gospel, to pass on the teaching of Scripture free from error. If you make it to the end of 35 years and you have done that, you have been far more successful than far too many pastors who have invented new ideas that are all wrong. Churches in this town and towns across the country are filled with people who decided instead of being paperboys to try to be editors when no one hired them to do that. You're here to be a paperboy, not an editor, to pass on what was given to you intact. See, in a small church, I mentioned when my dad first became a pastor, he was the pastor of a, a church about this size. And in a small church, the pastor can become the jack of all trades, kind of of necessity. Toilet breaks, somebody's got to fix it. Pastor's here, pastor will do it. You become the janitor, the maintenance man, the comforter, the counselor, the funeral director, the hospital visitor, the business leader, the financial manager. And all of those things will be necessary as part of the job at some point or another. But the most important thing you need to do is pass on the gospel intact. And as you as a congregation, can I say this? Give Sean the time to do that. Right? There's going to be a thousand things that you as congregants need from Sean, but the thing you need most from him is right teaching. The thing you need most from him is to rightly teach this particular passage that he's going to be preaching this Sunday. And that requires sometimes that you say, I'm not going to call Sean for that because I know he needs the time to teach. I know he needs the time to prepare. He needs the time to study. But then notice also what Paul says here. He says he's passing on this message to Timothy who will entrust it to faithful men, to faithful people after him. And this is where you come in. Are you faithful people? Are you a trustworthy people? Do you want to hear the gospel that has been passed down 
or do you want to hear something that makes you feel good? Because those aren't always the same thing. See, Paul says to Timothy, I'm passing this to you so that you can pass it to faithful people, and that assumes that there are faithful people on the receiving end who are faithful to God and faithful to Scripture and want to hear and want to know and can be trusted with the gospel that has been passed down for centuries. In other words, are you willing to be teachable? Are you willing to hear from Sean that what you thought the Bible taught might not be what it taught? Are you willing as a member to hear that you might be wrong? Am I willing to hear as a member of a church from my pastor that my thinking might not be 100% correct and that I need some shaving here and some adjusting here because I have misunderstood what the Bible teaches? See, Paul says, I'm passing it to you, Timothy, so that you can pass it to faithful people who are willing to be instructed, who are teachable, who are committed to getting it right, who are committed to understanding what the Bible actually teaches, not what I wish it taught. I wish the Bible didn't teach me to take up my cross. I wish that wasn't in there. But it is. And am I willing to be teachable and to hear that there are hard teachings in Scripture that call me to change and repent and believe? Am I willing to hear those things, or am I only willing to hear the stuff that sounds good, that makes me feel good, that affirms me, that encourages me, that, that, walks, that makes me walk out while not feeling guilty? I don't like feeling guilty. But sometimes I need to feel guilty and then be reminded of God's grace in the face of that guilt. And so the question for you is, as Sean invests his life in this ministry to you, in teaching you, in passing on the good news to you intact, are you willing to hear it? Are you willing to receive it? Are you one of those faithful people that Paul refers to here in whom Timothy and now Sean should invest their time? And then it says also that as Timothy passes this on to others, the goal is for those, look what it says there, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, why? Who will be able to what? Teach others also. Paul passes it on to Timothy, who passes it on to others, who will be able to pass it on to others. Sean's passing it on to you, so that you can pass it on to others. Sean is not being hired to live your Christian life in your place. No, I say that seriously. I think that, don't we, th I think we kind of think of that about the pastor sometimes. We've outsourced evangelism. I don't need to do that. That's what I've hired Sean for. I don't need to care for the widows. That's what I've hired Sean for. I don't want to stretch too hard to be that holy, but I feel good that we've hired a pastor who's pretty holy. Right? We, can, we can think we've sort of outsourced Christianity to Sean or to the pastor and that that person will do all this stuff. And that's not the idea here. Sean's here to teach you so that you can live the life of the ministry. He's not your substitute. In fact, in Ephesians 4, Paul writes, he says that God gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints, that's you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Did you know that, that you're in the ministry? Did you know that you're in the ministry? Again, when we talk about somebody going into the ministry, we mean Sean, right? Again, we've outsourced. And what Paul says is, no, 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 the work of the ministry, that's all you people. That's what you're going to do this week. Sean's going to help you on Sunday and the next Sunday and the Sunday after that so that you can go out Monday through Saturday and do the work of the ministry so that you can be in the ministry of the gospel so that you will be better equipped to take the gospel in word and in deed to this community. 
That's what, Sean's, that's what Sean's here to do, is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. You know why? Because there's more of you than there are of Sean. If we added up the 160-some hours a week that you all have, that's many more than the 160-some hours a week that Sean has, right? If, if everybody participates, if everybody talks to their neighbors, if everybody shares the gospel with their coworkers, if everyone talks to the students that they, they go to school with, if everyone is equipped to do the work of the ministry, you can have far more impact, and it's God's plan for us to have far more impact that way than just outsourcing it all to Sean. Sean's one guy with a limited amount of time. But there's, look, at all the, look at all the potential. Imagine if this morning we put a whiteboard up here or a chalkboard and we just went row by row and let's, we started with Sean and we listed all the people that Sean knows in Decatur. Probably be a good list. You've been here a good part of your, part of your life. And then what if we kept adding that list as we went down the aisle? Tell me everybody you know in Decatur. Everybody you know in Decatur. Everybody you know in Decatur. And we just kept putting all these names on the board. Just think about how many more people we could list on that board if everybody said, I can do the work of the ministry with all of these people that I know, or even some of those people I know. You might think, oh, we're a small church. You, you have ties all over this community. I, I guarantee you're going to talk to somebody tomorrow. Right? You're going to talk to somebody. I, I almost guarantee you're going to talk to somebody tomorrow who's not a Christian, even in Alabama. You can talk to somebody who might think they're a Christian in Alabama, but probably, but may well not be. But you're going to talk to somebody this afternoon who's not a Christian, waitress at waiter or waitress at the restaurant you go to, person at the gas station. And Sean's here to equip you to be better able to share the gospel with those folks. And if everyone in this room said, Sean, I want to be equipped, I'm a faithful recipient of that message, and I'm willing this week or this month or this year to do that work of the ministry that you're equipping me for, I could come back in a year and this place could be full, if God wills. The question is, are you the faithful recipients who are willing to do the work of the ministry? Are you willing to be trained and then put it into action? You know people that Sean doesn't know. You have coworkers that Sean doesn't have. You have neighbors and friends that Sean will never be able to meet. But together, you could change this community by God's grace. That's point number two. You're here to pass it on. Finally, point number three. I don't even know how long I've been going. I'm almost done, if that helps. Point number three. You're going to suffer in the process. We're going to end on a high note. <laughs> You're going to suffer in the process. See what he says in verse 3? Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, when I talk about sharing things, I, I, I love it when people share stuff with me, just not their suffering. I mean, I love it when they share some cake or share their car. I love it when my kids share their toys. I rarely ask anybody to share their suffering. I mean, we think, like, there's a lot of things you can share with me, but, you know, I didn't really ask for that. You know, you can, can you can keep that one to yourself. But what Paul says is that you will share in, you will join in, you will be a recipient of the suffering of Christ. And if you think about it, that only makes sense because if we are following him, then we're going to follow him into suffering. Because he walked to his death. To follow Christ means to follow him in his suffering. In fact, in 2 Timothy 3, just the next chapter over, Paul says to Timothy, all who would live godly will suffer persecution. Can I tell you I hate that verse? 
No, I'm serious. I'm not being facetious. I hate that verse. I hate it not because that it tells me that I will suffer, but because I know I don't suffer all that much. And so it makes me wonder whether I'm really living godly. I'd much rather have a verse that said, if you live godly, you might suffer persecution. Because then I could feel like, well, I don't suffer that much persecution, but that doesn't mean I'm not living godly. But that's not what he says. He says all who would live godly will suffer persecution. Which means that if I never feel any persecution, if I never feel any discomfort, if it's never a challenge to be a Christian, then perhaps I'm actually not living godly. But, but Sean, if you're going to do this work of the ministry, you will suffer in some way, shape, or form. Because Christianity is countercultural. As Christians, we're called to swim against the tide, to go against the grain. And too many times, it's not just the secular world that we'll get sideways with. Sometimes we'll be, get, we'll be counted as strange or odd or troublemakers by the religious or by those who practice what passes as Christianity. In fact, that's what Jesus faced. That the religious leaders of his day were the ones who ultimately persecuted him to his death. That following Jesus will come at a cost. Sometimes it might be lost friendships because people are tired of hearing about you and this Jesus stuff. Or maybe it'll be lost church members who decided they didn't really want to change. Or people leave in a huff and take their money with them because they didn't like that sermon or that counsel or that encouragement or that church discipline. That there will be a cost that comes with following Jesus. Can I encourage you as members, again, as the son of a pastor, don't add to the suffering. Remember what Paul said at the beginning? That with all the beatings he took, and then also the weight of the ministry, try not to add to that. Try to give Sean room to make mistakes and to grow. Some of you look like you might be a few years older than 30, like me. And so if you think back to when you were 30, I bet you made some mistakes. I bet you said something that rubbed somebody the wrong way or that came off as insensitive or you didn't show up at something you should have or you forgot an important date for somebody. We've all done it. Sean's going to face enough challenges in the ministry. What he needs is family, a family of believers. And in family, your family's like my family, we give people a lot of slack. There will be suffering that's part of being a pastor. There will be setbacks. There will be roadblocks. There will be times where you wonder, is anything happening? Is anything changing? There will be potholes and detours along the way. I can think back over my dad's 36 years when I was a child and think of some of the painful times that our family went through. But none of that makes me look back and say, I wish my dad wasn't a pastor. Following Jesus has always involved a cross. It's impossible for it to be otherwise. And in that sense, we end where we started, that that suffering can be a source of encouragement. It can be a validation of sorts that you are in fact following Jesus. And that's why Paul said, be strengthened in that suffering, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All of this probably sounds exceedingly hard, like a daunting responsibility. You may be pausing and thinking, why did I agree to do this? So be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned at the beginning, my dad retired about a year and a half ago after 36 years of pastoring the same church. By God's grace, it grew over those years from a church of about 70 people to about 600. But my dad was never famous. He never wrote any books. He never founded any nationwide ministry. He had no television following. And yet none of that has any bearing on whether he did his job well. My dad was visiting my house this week, and I said to him, 
as I was talking about preparing this message, that the work he was called to do was to train the people well. And if he did that, his work lasts beyond his ministry, whether or not that church ever continues to exist. That faithfully teaching people is not lost, no matter what happens to a particular institution. If a hundred years from now, I pray by God's grace, if the Lord hasn't come, this church is still here and thriving. But if you spend your career here and a hundred years from now this church is not here, you can still do your job well. Your job is not to protect an institution, but to train a people. The work of the pastor is to faithfully pass on to your members what has been passed on to you. And I pray that you will do that in this place for many years to come. Let's close in prayer. Father, the amazing thing about Scripture is that the truths given to Timothy 2,000 years ago are no less true today. That the instruction given to Timothy 2,000 years ago is no less useful today. It is no less the mission today. And I pray that both Sean and this congregation would be encouraged to stay on mission, to do the work of the pastor, to as people be recipients of that message so that Sean can look back at the end of a ministry and say that he has kept the faith, finished his course, run the race. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who was our supreme example. We pray this in his name. Amen. time has come to, uh, for this congregation to properly install Sean as our next pastor. Um, so what I'd like to do is call my fellow elders uh, up to join me, Mike and Michael, if you will come up, <clears throat> and also Sean, if you will come up, please. First Timothy chapter 5, verse uh, 22, Paul says to Timothy, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. And what he properly means by that is be careful who you appoint to leadership within your church. <laughs> I believe we've been very careful, and I believe that uh, the Lord has absolutely, by his amazing grace, provided us with a true shepherd. And I've shared that with you all before, and I share it with you again today. We're going to, uh, myself and my fellow elders are going to lay hands on Sean, and we're going to um, recite a set of vows. I'm going to speak, and we're going to speak, I do, or, or I, I do by, excuse me, let me try again. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to recite a set of vows on behalf of the elders, and Sean's going to respond properly. This is all written out, so, you know, don't hold your breath. Um, Sean, my brother. Uh, before we do this. Uh, you know, I told you guys, uh, I think about 12 weeks ago, when I announced to you that we were perhaps going to be bringing in this guy that you sort of kind of knew as our next pastor. Uh, I told you all that I was going to be very emotional in my, in my presentation of what I was about to say on that day, and that I wasn't emotional at all. <laughs> it was very bizarre. Today, I've been more than emotional already, uh, just considering all that God has done in the life of this church. And pardon me if I continue to be emotional as we go through these. This is uh, very important for me and for all of us. I'll just begin. Sean, we lay hands on you, my brother. Sean DeMars, do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. I do. Do you subscribe to the government and discipline of Sixth Avenue Church of God? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do, with God's help. 
Have you been induced as far as you know your own heart to accept the office of pastor from love of God and sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? I do, with God's help. Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as pastor, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation. I will, by the grace of God. And are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation as pastor to oversee the ministry and the resources of this church, to devote yourself to prayer, to the ministry of the word and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Sixth Avenue Church of God and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. I am for the help of God. Amen, brother. Congregation, for those of you who are members, and by that I mean if you voted for or were able to vote for Sean when, he, uh, when we made that vote, I'm going to ask you to stand at this time, and we're going to also, as a congregation, as members, to take a vow. I'll read to you from the screen here. Do you, the members of Sixth Avenue Church of God, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as pastor as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him in his ministry? Will you work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, this is indeed a very special day in the life of this church. We ask that you would honor our recognition of Sean as our next pastor, as our now, our new pastor of this congregation. Will you, Lord, continue to work in and through the life of this church? Will you continue, Lord, to give us strength and grace? Will you empower Sean, strengthen him by the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Will you empower him, Lord, to pass on faithfully, keeping what is right and true from your holy scriptures and from your absolute truth? Will you empower him, Lord, to pass that on to others that will be faithful to pass it on to others and others. And Lord, will you give him strength in the midst of suffering and, and persecution? Lord, we thank you for all that you have done for this church through, through its many years, Lord, of, of ups and downs. We thank you for this moment, a new day. And we ask that the same grace that is provided to Paul and to Timothy would be supplied to Sean would be supplied to each of us. Lord, we thank you that we are able to be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. May that grace abound upon us and in us, and may we cling to it. Lord, we pray all these things as a congregation in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 I'd like to ask you all to stand with me once more this morning. And we're going to sing this morning a new song, but it's kind of an old song. And you'll see exactly what I mean as we begin to sing it. It's a very familiar tune that I expect you'll, you'll catch on fairly quickly here. The song is called All Glory Be to Christ. Should nothing of 
darkness that vanishes at dawn, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. Amen. You guys may be seated and we'll take one final moment here just to be silent before the Lord. Take a moment to consider all that we've heard today and to be silent. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Lord, we come to you once more as we prepare to depart, simply giving you thanks and praise for all that you do and have done for us. And as we go today, and as we begin a new chapter in the life of this church, Lord, may we be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Give us that grace, Lord, and give us peace as we depart today. Lord, all this and all these things we pray and celebrate and rejoice in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we all say together, Amen. Amen. You all are dismissed. <clears throat>